Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. text. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7 this morning as we continue our rebuild series. Have y'all enjoyed this? Nehemiah has been good, man. It's been really good to just look at this guy, stand on his faith in Jesus and build the wall, what he believes and God told him to do despite everything else in his midst. And so we're going to be in chapter 7 today after the wall has been finished. So if you got a Bible, meet me there. We're going to read the first five verses of chapter seven. And once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning if you're able. And once you got it, go ahead, say, I got it. Say amen. amen. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. I'm just making sure y'all awake this morning, all right? Now you hear, you hear. All right, Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Here now the reading of God's word. It says, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful, he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they're standing, they're still standing guard. Let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found it written in it. We're going to stop there. We'll talk about the whole chapter, but this is the word of God. Amen. This morning, I, I want to preach on the topic, building after the initial push. Building after the initial push. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. God, I do ask right now that you stand in my body, that you think with my mind, and that the words that come out of my mouth will be yours, not my own. Lord, I, I ask that you decrease me. As I pray each week so that you may increase. Spirit, have your way in the hearts of your people and in this room. Let your word fall afresh on us this morning. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone said together. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Our family bought a new home in, here in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood in 2020, right before the pandemic went crazy. And as we moved in, I started to do some research on our home, and I found out some pretty interesting facts about the neighborhood as well as the home. One of the facts I learned is that the lady that bought and built our home actually bought the whole block and, and built all of the homes there on the block for herself as well as her family members. And so it was intended for the whole family to live on this block together. And then with this, when you look at the outside of the homes, they're beautiful. But as I started to look closely at the homes, you, you start to notice little nuances with the houses. This is with every house, but you, you start to notice the little nuances with these houses. And, and you look at certain places, and they're not like the rest of the home. You see stucco in one place when the house is 90-something percent brick. And you say, well, why is that? Why, why would they do that? Or you, 
you find out that the interior of each home is different quality when it was made by the same person. And you start to ask the question, well, why is that? And so I went to one of my neighbors who is one of the original owners, and I asked her, I said, why, why is this? And she told me, she said, the original builder had these immaculate plans for the inside and the outside of each home, but because the materials and the things cost more than she had planned, she ran out of money. So she was unable to do all the plans that she had for the inside of the home, and she even ended up selling all of the homes to people other than her family members. She simply didn't plan far enough in advance. And see, what, what I learned from this is that when we're building something or making plans, we have to make plans for after the initial push. What, what I mean is too many times we build to get to the top or the place in life where we think we're supposed to be, but then when we get there, we commonly don't know what to do afterwards. We commonly make plans to climb up the parenthetical ladder of success, but we don't know what to do when we get to the top of that ladder. It's like buying a mansion and you spend all your money on the down payment to get into the house, and then you get into the house and you can't furnish it and you can't fix it. That's called house poor. It makes no sense. We commonly make these plans or we commonly work so hard to get to the top, and then when we get there, we don't have the vision after the initial push. Life, family, it's a marathon. It's a marathon, and I know we have some runners in here. I don't get you, but we have some runners in here. They like running these marathons. But in a marathon, most of us understand, you don't sprint and go all out in the first two miles of the race. If you do that, you simply will not finish the, the rest of the 20-something miles of the race. It's a marathon. You have to plan for after the initial push. See, when we get into the text today, Nehemiah, he's putting people and things in place after the wall is finished. And he teaches us that there has to be vision after the initial push and unlike the builder of my home, you got to know who and what you're working with as you go forward. And someone needs to hear this because you walked in this place this morning and you don't, you, you're like, Pastor, I'm not even at the initial push yet. I don't know where I am right now in life. And, and hear me, you got to trust just like Nehemiah does because maybe you don't know where you're going or what's, what's next, but God does. And Nehemiah teaches us all throughout the book how we trust God in life, in opposition, and all of these things. You walked in here and you're like, I don't know where I'm headed. Hear me, God does. We have to learn to trust him. And for others in here, we got to pay attention to Nehemiah this morning. We got to pay attention because he teaches us and we learn how, what order looks like, if you want to say, what order looks like and what life looks like after the initial pushes of life. I got three points, and I'm out your way this morning. Rebuilding, number one, takes worship. Rebuilding takes worship. Number two, community takes faithful and devoted people. Community takes faithful and devoted people. Number three, we got to talk about covenantal community. What is it? Covenantal community. Over the last few weeks, we've taken a look at Nehemiah's heart for his people, but more importantly, his dedication to the Lord and what God has called him to do. He has gone from the cupbearer to the king to now this leader among the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, despite all the opposition that has come his way and is present trying to stop him or even kill him. He has experienced opposition from all types of of sides and people, his own people, the, those closest to him, even the, the priest and the prophetess that were trying to kill him, as we learned last week. And then he has this 
these enemies surrounding him on all sides, all sides. And one thing that we notice with Nehemiah that remains constant is that despite the opposition in his life that's surrounding him, Nehemiah stays committed to his call that the Lord has on his life and his relationship with God. He stays committed. He stays devoted to God. And see, time and time again, I, I, I come to you and I ask you, what, what, what would it look like if we had this type of commitment? Time and time again, you see Nehemiah, whether it's asking for favor to gain permission from the king to go back to his land to rebuild this wall or opposition that's present or just strength to keep going. You see him commonly all the time, over and over again, acknowledging the Lord, stopping to pray. He's always saying, Lord, I need you. And because of this, we see him against all odds build this wall in 52 days. Now, 52 days, that's without modern machinery. They just got hands and tools. 52 days, they build this wall with all this opposition around them. And you have, you, you've heard me say, I, I say it again, what if we had this type of commitment to Jesus? What if our relationship wasn't bothered by the opposition that surrounds us, the threats that are internally within our hearts or within our minds or externally with people and things around us or even Satan himself. What if we were committed to God's will and not our own will? What could we build? What, we, what could we build in our houses? What could we do in our communities? What could we do in and through the church? What could our city look like? What could our world look like? Nehemiah's devotion here causes us to look inward or in a mirror, if you want to say, and question our devotion to God. What does it look like? Now, as we get into this text today, the wall has been finished now, and there's some key things that Nehemiah does, and I believe they're, they're instrumental in building true Christian community. This is very important for us to look at as a church and as individuals as we reorient and realign ourselves to the things of God, trying to keep Jesus central in our life, which brings us to our first point. In order to rebuild, worship is needed. Rebuilding takes worship. I'm going to need y'all to wake up and go with me on this. Verse 1, Nehemiah says, the wall is finished. And he sets up the doors. He set them up, and then he mentions, watch this, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. He says they're all appointed. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting because this group, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites, this is the typical group for worship leaders. These are the worship officials. And it's very interesting that they're mentioned at the finishing of the wall. In other words, one would not think that this group would be mentioned at the beginning or the guarding of the wall because they're worship leaders. What this tells us is that guarding or the guarding of the city was related to establishing or reestablishing the worship of God. Now, as you look at chapter 7, the chapter, as you get into it, the rest of it, it's mostly a census where Nehemiah is really trying to figure out who's with him, Jay. He's saying, who's with me? And we'll get to that census in a minute. But when you look at it, verse 7 through the end of the chapter in this census, Nehemiah, he doesn't mention anything about farmers. He doesn't talk about goldsmiths. He doesn't talk about the builders or the scribes or anybody else that you think someone would mention in a census. But yet, he mentions... The worship leaders. That's who he talks about. This tells us that the worship of God is very important in the life of a believer. It is to be the fuel that burns in everything that we do. And when you're looking at this text, it points to a couple things dealing with worship. So we got to camp out here a little bit and talk about worship. Worship being present at the wall lets one know that worship, hear me, was a physical act and a defensive mechanism by being at the wall. What do I mean with this? Listen, sometimes when you're going through it in life 
and things are hard and it seems like things are out of line. It feels like everybody has turned their back on you and your back is up, up, up against the wall. And there's one hard thing after another one over and over in your life. Sometimes you just got to open your mouth and lift your hands and start praising God even when you don't feel like it. Lord, I need you. I need you, God. You are a good, good father singing songs that just come to mind, reciting scriptures. Somebody go with me. With Y'all too quiet up in here this morning. I know we got some worshipers. Sometimes you just got to praise God even when you don't feel like it. And even in that moment, nobody, nobody has to know what you're feeling right now. That's between you and God. It's between you and God. You're giving him praise because you need him in that moment. You may be going through something. Or on the other side, you, you, you're giving him praise because he's done something great in your life. That's between you and God. Y'all don't believe me. It's like David dancing in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Because the Lord has blessed him and, and given him rule over a nation in the midst of his oppressor, Saul, who's trying to kill him. He, he gives him this blessing on his life. And David starts dancing with all of his might. He's doing everything out in public. And people are looking at David, looking at him as if he's unruly because he's not dressed appropriately. In their minds, they would be considering him naked. He ain't naked. He got something on, but they consider what he has naked. And so he's dancing. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. And then old David goes back into his house, and his wife, she's mad at him. Like, bro, I can't believe you just did that. Unruly. You, you just, you're making us look bad out here. And David looks like, woman, look, what I was just doing, that praise, between, that, that's between me and God. That ain't have nothing to do with you. That's between me and God. So I don't care what you think. I'm going to give God this praise. And I'm going to celebrate how good he's been in my life. It's about me and God because he's looked out for me. I'm going to give him praise. And see, I've said this before. Some of you all in here, I'm going to step on some toes with this one. I've said it before. But some of us need to stop caring so much about what other people think. When we worship, some of you are true worshipers in here, and you can teach the rest of us what it looks like to worship. But we step up in church today, and because it's a multi-ethnic church, a multicultural church, we, sit, we look around and we like, well, ain't nobody else got their hands up, so uh, I ain't about to look silly up in here. So you stop amening, you stop hallelujah, you stop all of that. You stop doing anything, raising your hands and all that because you don't want to look silly in the midst of everybody else that's not praising God the way that you would praise. David said, I don't care what y'all think. And we shouldn't either. This is between me and the Lord. Now, be honest. Look, I've said this. Don't y'all come in here dancing naked, though. <laughs> we do have security. and You will get put out, <laughs> escorted out. And with that, all jokes aside, there, there's order to worship. There is. You look at 1 Corinthians 14, there's order to worship, so it shouldn't be chaotic and crazy. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you are a Christian, and on Sunday morning, all you do is come up in here and you just, you stare at DeMond and the team. Y'all, that's way under par. I'm going to just be honest. You, you, look, look, and the reason I say that, and I, I know y'all are like, well, I don't know, Pastor D. Look, I'm going to tell you why I say this. Everyone in here that calls Jesus Lord and Savior, you have been saved from something, which means you have a testimony of what God has brought you out of, which means he's worthy of your physical act of worship, whether that be on your knees or you clapping your hands, hands raised, eyes closed. He's worthy of your praise. But listen, even more importantly than that, there's power in your worship. There's power when you open your mouth and you worship. You actively hear this. Take away, take your mind and your heart away from whatever it is been burdening you and been keeping you down. And now you remind yourself of who God is in place of all these things that are that are bothering you. So when you open your mouth and you say, Lord, you're mighty. 
When you say, Lord, you're mighty, you're thinking about the mightiness of God and how powerful he is. So that when I look at my situation, the same God that formed and shaped the earth and the heavens and made the water and the birds and the animals, that same God can now fix my situation. Ah, that's not enough. When we say you are Alpha and Omega this morning, that means God is the beginning and he is the end, which means all of this other stuff in between us and our problems means that he got all of that in his hands. He's still forming and shaping us into his image. He's still got you and all of this stuff in his hands. He ain't twiddling his thumbs like, what am I going to do? This is what happened. When you sing out loud, you're reminding yourself of who God is while taking your mind and your heart from other things that are pulling you down. Let me see if I can make this plain because I want y'all to understand this. I remember when Kaylee and I, we were engaged and 21 years old. We were young. We had been dating since high school. It was one of the most stressful times of our lives. Um, we had relatives, we had friends, even people we didn't know saying crazy things to us, uh, doubting the fact that we should be together and uh, that this isn't God's plan and maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. You're too young. You don't understand what marriage is about. People that divorce, I'm like, you obviously didn't understand and you telling me what well, I don't understand. All of these different things, it just was wild where people came out of the woodwork and had something to say about what we believe God had done and what he's doing in our lives. And so uh, I'm going to be honest, my, my blood pressure at that time, I had to go to the doctor. It was off the charts because of stress. My wife has eczema. Her eczema was off the chain because of the stress. But we believed that God had called us to be together. I wanted to be with her and she wanted to be with me. And so what we did to combat this stress in our lives is we made a, a playlist on a CD. Y'all know what CDs are? <laughs> hey, I, I, man, burning CDs and putting a playlist together, it's no fun now. You got, I was corrected, Apple Music and, and Spotify and all this stuff nowadays where it's just, you just, get, you list whatever you want. You just pay a little fee. But we made CDs and the playlist, and on that playlist, we put together a, a compilation of our favorite worship songs. Our favorite worship songs. And you know what we did with that? Every week we got together and, and we, would, we would listen to this playlist. We would, we would worship. We'd cry together. And we'd pray together. Because we needed the Lord's protection, his guidance in what we felt like nobody had our back in. We listened to, uh, I'm going to tell you, we listen to a lot of Fred Hammond. If you don't know who Fred Hammond is, go bless yourself after church. We listen to Fred Hammond. I mean, songs like Jesus Be a Fence, No Weapon, All Things Are Working Together, You Are the Living Word. Fred Hammond, y'all, I'm going to be honest, got us through some dark days. We also had other artists. One of my favorite, I like Christian rap, uh, was old cross movement uh, a person called Ambassador, and he sang this song. Or he rapped this song called, I Love You, Jesus. And I'm not telling you what to go listen to, but here's the reality. We just needed to worship. We just needed to worship. And don't you know that every time we came out of that time of worshiping together, we felt stronger? We felt more confident in what God had called us to do despite the opposition that was around us because we were reminded of who he is despite our circumstances. And most people don't know this, but when they came to our wedding, what we gave away for our wedding paper was that same playlist. We gave them that CD because we wanted them to know who got us through. And then now they can go worship to the same thing that we worship to. And the thing that brings me the joy the most now is that my wife and I, after 19 years, 15 or so years of marriage, we, you know, we, we, still, we still do this. We still worship together. And our kids, this is what brings me the most joy, is that they've seen it so much that I could be walking down the hallway in our house, and I, I can just, I, I start hearing my kids singing songs, worshiping as they're doing their homework, because they don't want to do their homework. Jesus, help me get through this homework. <laughs> 
You are the living word. Come on, get me through this word, Jesus. I just, I just start hearing them sing, and it, it brings me joy. See, the point I'm trying to get at is that worship is a physical act where we praise God for what he's done, but it also can be something that's a defense against the enemy and the threats that come up in your life. Now, understand, I do understand there's cultural dynamics here, and some of y'all were raised in churches where you could not raise your hand, you couldn't clap, you couldn't dance, you couldn't do any of those things. I understand that, but I need you to hear me say that there's power in corporate worship. When we come together, we worship. Demond and the team, they they sing up here and they lead us every week, but this ain't a concert. We come to worship together and they're leading us because God has been good in all of our lives and then we open our mouths together and when we do that, it protects us from the enemy. It prepares our heart for what we'll face when we go outside of these doors. We worship together. This is the reason that we worship. It keeps us from the things that we're going to face in terms of our mind and our heart. Keep it focused on Jesus. It's a weapon in many ways. When you look at the Bible, you see this defense mechanism used. When you go to uh, uh, Jericho, when the the Israelites are walking around Jericho, the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. Y'all don't believe me. This is biblical. They're walking around the walls. Seven days, they're doing this. And they're, they're not lifting hands to fight anybody. They got ram's horns, and they're singing and yelling out to the glory of God. And after seven days, you know what happens? The enemy's walls come crumbling down. They're just worshiping, not fighting, not with their hands. They're worshiping, but that's not enough. It's the reason why slaves on Sunday morning would put their best outfits on, and they would praise, and they would dance on the plantation because they, in that moment, are released from the oppression that they're under. And if that's not enough, what they did throughout the week in the fields, they would sing these Negro spirituals and hymns to get them through the day despite what they're going through because they knew if they had the Lord on their side, they could make it through. David danced, as I told you earlier, because he was blessed in the middle of his oppression, Saul is trying to kill him, although he's been blessed. And he said, you know what? You know, I'm going to give this praise to God because he's been good in my life and he's kept me. Friends, there's power in worship. And listen, instead of us watching worship or critiquing everybody else and what they're doing, trying to figure it out, we need to question what does our worship look like? Or better, better yet, why am I not worshiping? We see, I love it, the, the baby's worshiping. It's gone. I love it. She get it. He, or he. We, we see worship at the gates of Jerusalem here, which makes us question, what does our worship of Jesus look like? Secondly, mentioned in ver- verse 1, after we see worship as a physical act, it's, it's, it's used as a defense. When you look at verse 1, worship here is mentioned because the community and the work that the people did was all centered around Jesus. Okay, it's all centered around God. What I'm simply getting at is that worship, even though I just told you it's a physical act, it's not just a physical act. Okay, it's not just where we lift our hands and we sing loudly. It's not a show. Which sadly, for some people, it is a show. Saturday night, you're doing what you do. You know, you're out in the club and you just, and you wake up early, you drag yourself to church and you, hey, thank you, Jesus, all this stuff. And you sleeping on the sermon and then, and that Sunday night, you go out and do the same thing. I mean, that's a show. That's not what worship is about. See, more importantly, worship deals with the posture of your heart. Where everything we do flows from it. Listen. When we give, that's an act of worship. The way we steward and give of our resources, that's worship. Jesus says where your heart is, so your treasure will be also, which means our resources cannot be our treasure as believers. And when we give of that treasure or those resources, it helps our hearts because we're reminded now that it's not all about what we have. But it's more about giving so the kingdom of God will advance. And just a quick note on this, because I know some of you have asked me, well, Pastor, you talk about giving, but how do we give? What does that look like? There's three different ways that believers are called to give. I've, I've said this to some of you all before. We're called to give tithes, 
offering, and alms. Now, what are those things? Tithes is our first fruit. That's first fruit. That's 10% of your household's income. You don't do that at the end of the month, first fruit. It's at the top of the month because most of us, if we do, we honest, we wait to the end of the month and then you get the leftovers. Well, when you look at biblical uh, Old Testament narrative, when they would give, most of them worked in agriculture. So when they would get the crop out of the field, before they take it into their house, they would take that first fruit, the 10%, whatever it is, and they would take it straight to the storehouse. That's the church. They would give. And they give it off tops. They said, this is for you. This is for you, Lord. This is to extend the kingdom. We want to take care of people that are in need, all of that. And so they would give. That's that tithe. That's 10%. The second one is your offering. Offering is above and beyond that. It does not take away from your tithe. It is different than that. That's what you give above and beyond, which may be to the Engage Renewal Fund. That's not the same as the general fund here. That's saying, I want to I see further multiplication. It may be the Campus Crusade or mission organizations or charities, whatever you give to. That's an offering that's above and beyond. That's not the same as your tithe. And then the last one is alms. This is one that we don't think about, but this is alms where you give to the poor. You give to those that are in need. We're called as believers to do all three of those. And we give in that order, tithe, offering, alms. Why do we give in that order? Because the church is called to do all three too. And if we do not give the tithe, we do not give to the church, then add it up, the church cannot do what it's called to do. Sometimes we just, well, I can control it. I can do better than the church. I can do this. I'm going to be honest. One person can never do better than the corporate church. There's no way possible. I don't care what you have. When we come together and we do this together, we can do way more than we can do individually. So we give, and the church is called to do the same thing as an example and do the same thing that you are doing. So that's how we give, and that's an act of worship. How we work is an act of worship. If you work a job and can't nobody at your job stand you, <laughs> you need to question your worship. If people are behind your back like, man, she crazy. There's something's going on. You need to question your worship. How you live is an act of worship. How you take care of your body, your physical body, your physical health, or your home life. Everything we do in our life is an act of worship, which begs the question, what does our life look like? Is it representing Jesus or something else? We're worshiping something. Who are we worshiping? Nehemiah had the worship leaders at the front to make sure worship represented the people as they rebuilt their land. The worshipers were there before anything else was even built. Even the homes in verse 4, you see, they hadn't even built the homes. They're like, we're going to worship first, not even build a home. They started with worship. Friends, how's your worship? What's the posture of your life, your heart look like? Be honest. Verse 2, as we move on, we see that Nehemiah appoints faithful men to leadership. I love this. Brothers that have been faithful with him since the beginning, he, he appoints them to leadership. He says to Hanani and Hananiah, look at the words. He says, they were more faithful and God-fearing men than most. Hanani, if you remember from chapter 1, this is the guy that actually came to Nehemiah. And told him about the destruction of the land. He's saying all the walls have been torn down. He tells them about what's happening in Jerusalem. He's the one that tells them. He, he, he says that these men are faithful. And because of that, because they've been with him from the beginning to now, he makes them governors over the castle, keep watching the land, put people in place to make sure they're guarding. Listen to me, friends. These are the type of faithful people that you want in your life. People that will stick with you through thick and thin. I've said it before, you got to have people around you that love Jesus more than they love you. Because if that's true, then now they will correct you and care for you in the right way. They will love you the right way. They will keep you accountable and have your back according to the will of God. Not when you want them to or how you want them to. Big difference. That's why we don't like accountability. Accountability doesn't always feel good but it keeps you holy. These men have shown Nehemiah their love for God 
and their aptitude to be able to lead others correctly. Again, these are the type of people you want around you. This is why church community on Sunday morning, as well as in your groups throughout the week, is so important. Because these gatherings are focused around Jesus and not our individual wants or needs, which helps us keep Jesus at the center. You want people around you that are not yes men or yes women or going to tell you what you want or do whatever you want. But instead, people that will challenge you, people that will encourage you at the same time, people you can trust. You need people that are able to help you in times of need that have the same interests, the same belief that you do. This is what Nehemiah has in these men. This is what Jesus had in his 12 disciples, which is why they take the mission and keep carrying on. And we sit here today praising the same Jesus. Believers need faithful and devoted community. You need the type of community that when times get hard, people don't leave you, but they stick with you. We as a church community, we have to fight against this culture of flippancy where folks just have no staying power. When things get hard, they leave or they fall back to what they feel is right or what they want to do. See, this culture of flippancy kills any chance of authentic community, where instead of fighting for things, we say, well, you know what? I don't feel right about this anymore, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just jump ship. I ain't talking to nobody. I'm just leaving this thing. I, I don't like it. I'm not feeling this relationship anymore. There got to be more fish in the sea. I'm not feeling this job. I'm going to quit it even though I don't have job I don't get that but I don't feel right about it so I'm leaving it I, I'm I'm leaving this church because the pastor he 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 don't make me feel good every week says hard things I don't even want, I'm not gonna have a conversation conversation I'm leaving friends everything in your life listen to me is not always going to be easy it's not always going to be it's not always gonna feel good some of us will work jobs that we don't like for years, that you don't like, and that's okay. That's okay because it's not always about what you like. That job, God might have you there for a reason that's bigger than you liking the job. And if you leave, just, just leave because you don't feel right about it. You may not do what God had called you to do. Now, I'm not telling you to stay in something unhealthy. But you can't just leave stuff because you don't like it. Sometimes you just got to be thankful you got a job when others don't. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest, there will be days and months of marriage that will be hard. But you just can't pack up and move. I'm done. The marriage covenant is bigger than you, too. It represents the relationship between God and his church. And I'm thankful that God didn't just leave me when times got hard. Or else I don't know where I would be this morning. Family, what I'm trying to say is that there is a big difference between having the spirit of faithfulness and actually being faithful. True community doesn't just take a spirit of faithfulness. It takes true faithfulness. Well, when times get hard, you don't leave, but you stick and you stay. When your friend is crying through the middle of the night because somebody broke her heart, even though it's midnight or one in the morning and it's daylight savings time and you want to get sleep and you like, girl, if you don't shut up in your mind, you don't say that. You stay on the phone with them while they cry and you suffer together because you're tired and she's suffering and you suffer for her sake. That's community. Wives or husbands. When you're at home and, and their spouse comes in the door and you got all these things you want to talk about, but you can look at him or her and you're like, man, they've been beat down by the world today. That's a moment where you take a back seat and, and what you wanted to talk about and you say, look, let's go sit down. I want to, how do you feel today? Or just give them a second. When your kids, I got five of them, when it's, it's time to go to bed and you just tired. Like, why don't y'all little busters get in the bed? I love y'all, but get in the bed. And like, Daddy, can we play this game? I push through. That 10 minutes will mean the world to them. 
That's what true community does. See, true community doesn't just take the spirit of willingness, but true community takes devotion and faithfulness where you put yourself to the side to benefit another. These men in this text were devoted to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah puts them in charge of Jerusalem. He had these guys by his side through opposition, through the triumph, through the good and the bad, and says, I need my faithful brothers now to guard the wall and the city because although we finished, there's still opposition out there. There's still hard times coming, and I, and I got to help build the city now. Nehemiah knows that these guys will be just as devoted as he has been to the Lord, if not more. Friends, do you have that type of community in your life? What's your community look like? As I was writing this week, if I'm honest with you, I, I typically use Thursdays to write, and I like it real quiet in the office. But I was sitting there, and I got my door closed, and I'm writing, and the, the staff is just having a party. They're having a good old time in the office, laughing and carrying on loud. And, and I'm going to be honest, in the moment, I, I might have gotten upset, but this time I was just, it's like the Lord hit me as I'm writing, and I just started smiling big. Tone, turned on some praise music myself, and I'm having my own little party in there as I'm writing, because as I heard them laughing, it brought joy to me because I remember when the hallways of the church office were quiet. Nobody was there. Dark times. And now there are people in all the offices working together to see this church go forward. Y'all, it did something to my heart. When I step in here on Sunday mornings and I think of all you all coming together it does something to my heart because just a short time ago, we weren't able to do this. And we get to come together and worship. What I'm really trying to get at, family, do not miss this, is that we are not meant or we're not meant to go on this journey alone. We need community. We need each other. What does your community look like? Do you have community that's faithful and devoted? The last thing we'll look at in this text, verse 5, uh, Nehemiah takes this census. Remember I told you early on, if you've been with us, that Ezra, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are very similar. It's said to be written by the same person. They have same themes and different things in it. So this census is actually the same census from Ezra 2 that Nehemiah takes here. He actually mentions that. Like, I, I, I went to the original genealogy, and he's take, talking about Ezra. He brought this back in. But in his, he says that, he received this word from God. God had put it on his heart to take this census. Again, we talked about in this week, week's past of the faithfulness and devotion that Nehemiah has to God. This is speaking to that. And I don't have time to preach this right now. But don't you want that type of open line communication with God? Almost like the phone never hangs up and you can just dial in whenever you want. He's just waiting there. I, I don't know about you, but I, I want that type of open line communication with God. Nehemiah says, I take this, I'm taking the census, but it's not because I want to. God, God put this on my heart. The word is we got to stay devoted, friends. Stay devoted to our walks with the Lord and dwelling in prayer and in his word. Now, this census, though. This isn't Nehemiah just taking church attendance so he can feel good about himself and say all these people showed up today despite daylight saving. No, no, no. He's taking his census to see who actually is with him as they repopulate and build the city. He's like, who's actually with me? As I told you earlier, he's not counting just anyone, though. He's specifically now counting the leaders, the nobles the officials, the priests, and the worshipers. He's counting the heads of the households and now how they're giving, how they're tithing, and he's, he's counting them because he wants to know, yo, yo, who's with me? I need to know who's here. Simply needed to know who's committed. As we said in week three, rebuilding takes everyone. And to be honest, I'm going to step on some toes with this one. There's many of us in here that have gifts that God has given us that we're not using to advance the church or his kingdom. We're sitting on them. In essence, 
man, this is going to hurt. Well, you're just really not that committed. We come to church. We may sing songs, but we don't serve. We're not members of any church. We don't give. We just receive. And listen, and I'm not coming at anyone with this. I'm not trying to twist your arm or anything like that. But I need you to hear me. Never in the history of Christianity has the church been fruitful or survived off of cruise ship Christianity. What do I mean with that? Well, we just sit back and receive and believe that the church is for me instead of all of us being the church. Even worse than that, when you're, when you're not under covering, when you're not a member of the church, you, you have no spiritual covering in your life. You're, you're not devoted to the church and leadership, and they're not devoted to you. You have no covering in that way. Y'all, that's not church. That's never been the church. The book of Acts, there's elders, there's leaders, there's deacons, there's people that are caring for them. They know all the people that are a part of their church. Church involves covenantal commitment between the people of God and its leaders. Now, I don't have t- much time to talk about this right now, and I really don't want to break it down much more. I just got a question for you. What is holding you back from truly being committed? What is it? That's the question. Nehemiah only counted the true community here. You know why? Because just like when the nation of Israel grumbled after being free from Egyptian captivity, they're grumbling after f- being free. And they're in the wilderness now, grumbling, saying, why don't we just go back into captivity? You know what happens when we're not really committed? It contributes to things falling apart really quickly. 11-day journey from captivity to freedom turns into 40 years in the wilderness. Mm. Why? Because we're really not that committed. It's about us, our needs. I know this is, this is, I'm in the kitchen and this hurts a little bit. The church needs, just like Nehemiah needed, folks who will commit their lives to Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. God's main vehicle throughout history has always been the church when it comes to saving people. That's his plan A. The question we have to answer this morning is, are we truly committed? Like Nehemiah, when I was studying this, I had to, I had to ask myself, I said, man, who is, who is truly with me? Who's with me? I, I, I'm not about to take a census, but I'm like, man, who's, who's here? We're about to do uh, membership today. We did it last week. Thank God we have more members joining today. But I know there are more of you in here that need to take that one foot off the dock. You're straddling the dock in the boat, and you need to jump all the way in. You need to take this journey with us. And if it's not us, maybe there's another church. Listen to me. My heart, I just want you to be plugged into community so that community can grow and you can grow too. Jump in. Be plugged in. Jesus does not save us so that we can sit idly by in community and not grow. There's power when believers come together. I've mentioned this before, and I'll end here. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great British preacher. He, he's a prolific preacher called the Prince of preacher, Preachers. You, you would have found him. Uh, preaching one of the world's largest churches at the time in the late 1800s called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which said that he preached to some over 10 million people. And that's before social media. That's, this, this is 1800s. That's word of mouth. You can find 5,000 people in seating in the church and another 1,000 people waiting outside just listening to this boisterous voice as he proclaimed the gospel. And when you asked him about Where does the success come from? How are all these people getting saved? He would say, it's not not my time with Jesus. It's not the books I read. It's not any of those things. But what he would do is he'd take you underneath the sanctuary of the church. And when you got underneath there, it always blows my mind. What you would find is that he'd say, you see hundreds of people on their hands and knees, praying as Spurgeon preached, that God would move and save people. He says, the success of my ministry 
It didn't come from me. It came from the people that were with me. And God moved. They weren't just committed to prayer, but they were committed to Jesus. And God did something amazing in their midst. And family, I I, want to ask you this morning, what could God do if we took the posture of being on our knees? And said, God, I want you to move, not only in our pastor's life, but in the life of our church and in my life. I want you to do something that we could never imagine by ourselves. What could God do in our midst? What could he do in this city if we truly were committed? What would he do? I'm going to end this way. When Jesus dies on the cross, when he hangs on the cross, there's two beams. There's a vertical beam, which reconciles us to God through Jesus' death. There's a vertical beam. As he hangs there, when we believe in Jesus, we're reconciled to God through that vertical beam. But then there's the horizontal beam where there's nails in each one of his hands, blood dripping from his hands. That horizontal beam... It represents horizontal reconciliation between all of us, which lets us know that we weren't made to do this thing alone. We were made for community. We were saved for community. And we don't do this too much here at Renewal. But today, I think when you hear words like this and there's questions of the posture of our heart and are we truly committed we got to answer the question of if we are truly committed, which means that we need to respond to that this morning. Like I said, we don't do altar calls that much at renewal in this way. But I just believe there are people in here, one, that need to give their life to Jesus this morning, some that need to rededicate and get it right with Jesus, and there are some of you that don't have a church home, and you're saying, I need to jump in. This moment right now, this isn't a show. This is between you and God. And so if anybody is looking at you in a crazy way because you get up and you come to the front, that's between them and God. What you do right now is your response and worship to your king and your savior. And so first off, if we're going to be committed, we got to be committed to Jesus. We have to understand what he did for us. When Jesus died on that cross, he gave his life so that we could have life in him when we believe. He didn't just stay on the cross, but he went to the grave. And he rose after three days with power in his hands, defeating Satan, sin, and death, leaving it in the grave. Making way for us through our faith, through our belief, through our confession to have life. Life not only here, but life everlasting in heaven with him after this and if you're here this morning my first call is if you're saying I need to give my life to Jesus this morning I've been coming here for some months I've been listening in I'm tired of running this race this life living it the way I want to I need to live it the way God has called me to live it and if you're in that place and you're saying I want to give my life to the Lord Romans 10 9 says by the confession of your faith and belief in your heart you are saved And I'm going to ask you to just join me in the front. Come on up here, and I just want to pray for you. I'm going to keep going, and you can come at any point. The second call is for the person that's in here. You've been off in your walk with Jesus. You know Jesus, but you have not been walking in a way, or your worship, as you say, has not been in accord with your belief. People look at you, they they can't tell that you're a believer. And today is the time to get it right. 1 John 1, 9 says that Jesus is just and righteous to forgive if we confess our sins. So there's grace. There's acceptance. There's renewal. There's reconciliation. So secondly, if you're in that place and you're saying, I need to get this right with Jesus. Again, this is you and him. I just want you to meet me here. And I'm going to pray for you. 
We're going to pray together. And thirdly, if you've been coming here maybe months, some years, and you need a church home, why not today? You haven't been able to make the membership classes. We're going to figure that out. We're going to expedite it. I want you to meet me here. And we'll go from there. Wherever you are, I'm going to sit here for a moment. I need you to do business with Jesus. And when you're released or when you want to come up here, meet me. If you're in one of those three places, you're giving your life to the Lord this morning. You're rededicating your life to Jesus. Or you're saying, I need to join this church. Why don't you meet me here at the front as we pray together. This is between you and the Lord. And if we're doing anything other than celebrating you getting out of your seat, that's our problem. Why don't you come on, meet me at the front. Thank you, my sister. I see you. Bible says he's rejoicing at one. I'm biased, but I love this church, y'all. If you're, you're contemplating jumping in, jump in. Jump in with us. have different circumstances and situations going on, but we need Jesus right now. We need prayer. Don't you leave the same way you came in. I want to give it up for these ladies that came to the front right now. And what I want to do is I want to pray over them, and I'm going to ask you all to and talk with you a little bit, but I just want to pray over you all. Um, I recognize you're in different places coming to the front this morning. Some getting right with Jesus, some saying, I want to join the church. Uh, would you all just do me a favor and extend a hand as we pray over them this morning? Father, we just thank you because you are truly a good God thank you for what you're doing in the life of your people. We thank you for these four ladies that have come that are saying, something's not right. I need to be right. Whether it's giving their life to Jesus, rededicating their lives and saying, I need to join in the church. I need to jump in. I, I've been, had one foot straddling in the dock and one in the boat. I need to be all the way in. Lord, I thank you for just what you're doing in their lives. God, I pray tears maybe that are rolling down their fear, face, whether it be from sadness or things that they've done, God, that they would turn to joy knowing that they're accepted, that they're fully loved by you as daughters of the Most High God. We thank you for how good you've been in our life and the goodness in advance of what you're going to do as we go forward. God, we just pray that you protect each one of them and that you would hold them near and dear to your heart and that you would do a work in them that only you can do. We trust in you for great things, Lord Jesus, and we look forward to all they're going to bring to this church. And as pastors and elders and 
members of this church, God, we look forward to being a family to them. A place where they, they know that they're loved and accepted, God. Because you've accepted us all, Lord. So, Lord, we trust in you to do the work, not us. Mold and shape their hearts in the way you would have them be. For your glory and their good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.